And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Everyone knows someone that has autism. And some people get diagnosed with autism at different times and phases of their life. We're going to talk about that and how autism and entrepreneurship, quite honestly, go hand in hand for many of us. We're going to use big words like neurodivergent, and who knows, maybe we'll even find some other big words to figure out. And before I introduce today's guest, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. If you weren't aware, that's my company, and we love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. So check out the link in the show notes, fullscale.io. With me today, I have Peter Mann, and Peter is the CEO and founder of Aranci, and they're in manufacturing and consumer home electronics. He's going to tell you more about that in a second. You can go to aranci.com. Don't try to figure out how to spell that. Just scroll down, click that link in the show notes for me real quick so you can see a little bit more about his company and give a little context straight out of Radford, Virginia. And if you know where that is, reach out too, because I had to ask, but it's somewhere in Virginia, according to Peter. So I should say, Peter, welcome to Start Apostle. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, you know, let's go ahead and dive right into our conversation and start with a little bit about your backstory. Sure. Um, so you mentioned, I guess, autism in the in the beginning. And so, you know, part of what we're going <clears> to <throat> talk about is I'm a, like many people, a late diagnosed um, autistic person. Um, you know, I've kind of gone through my entire life until the last year or so until I uh, kind of figured it out and got diagnosed. And, um, you know, in, in kind of receiving the diagnosis, it, it, it you know, the natural reaction is to go back and go through all your life's events and you're like, see things in a completely different light. For me, I think it, it kind of highlights all my successes and failures um, in seeing it through that lens. And, you know, I think it's really, you know, been a big part of um, the success that I've had in entrepreneurship um, in, in just thinking differently. You know, there's a term I, I mentioned in the intro, neurodivergent. And this is a new term for me, and I and I fall into this category as well. And that refers to individuals who have a brain that functions differently from the majority of people, leading to differences in perception, thought, and behavior. It's a term commonly used to describe individuals with conditions such as autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and other neurological conditions that affect cognition and behavior. But I want to go back to the part where it talks about that the brain functions a little differently. Now I'm in the ADHD group and, you know, I think that's an overdiagnosed thing in today's culture. The world's taking handfuls of Adderall every day. I'm actually someone who really needs it, but I really do have always described myself as thinking differently um, or acting differently, or I don't know. I've just always been a little different. And some people love that about me and some people freaking hate it about me. Right. And, and I've always realized it. Now I was, I've always known that now when I was a kid, they didn't have a term for that. You mentioned, I'd like to, maybe if you'd be willing to share a little bit about, so you just received this diagnosis, diagnosis, um, as a middle-aged, uh, person. And I'm curious about, well, what even, how that even occurred and how you felt about it afterward. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just to back up a little bit, so I'm Gen X. I went to, you know, elementary school in the seventies and, you know, um, finished K through 12 in the eighties. And back at that time, you know, about one in 2,500 people were um, diagnosed as being autistic. And today it's closer to one in 50. And it, it's not that there's 
this big influx of people that uh, that are now autistic. It's just they just were never diagnosed. Um, and so if you think about it, there's, you know, up until the last 15 or 20 years, there's just so few people, unless you were very high supports needs, you just kind of went through the system and, and you just didn't know. Um, and for me, what happened was uh, my wife was watching, I believe it was the CBS morning show, and they did a profile on a woman who's autistic and she was describing how she can hyper-focus and see patterns and see details that other people don't see. And she's, and she's like, wow, you need to watch this. And I watched it and I completely related to everything that they said about her, you know, her traits and how she um, sees things and, you know, some of her, some of her challenges. <clears throat> and that's really what started the journey for me. Um, and then the first thing I did is I went online and I started taking these online screening assessments <laughs> to see how I scored and, um, it's kind of interesting. The most common one or the most popular one is a 50 question test. It was, it's by a Cambridge professor. His name is Simon Baron Cohen. He's related to Sasha Baron Cohen, <laughs> believe it or not. And is that Borat? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like Borat's cousin or something yeah. like that. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the, uh, and, and it's just a series of questions and it just, you know, where do you score on this? And uh, a neurotypical person, you know, most people, typical people score 16 or 17. If you're autistic, you tend to score 30 and up. And I, I scored a 43. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay. <laughs> and oh. I, took, I took several others and they're all consistent with that. And that's... Um, that's kind of what kicked it off. And then I went and got a formal diagnosis, but that was really challenging because um, the whole system is more or less set up for children. It's not set up for people who are missed because, because the diagnosis is, um, you know, diagnostics are really, you know, the latest ones were set in 2013. So it's, this isn't like a something that science is, is really understood for very long. It's, it's very much in its infancy in terms of um, understanding it. And it still, still has a long ways to go. And so, yeah, anyways. And so, you know, I, I eventually found um, a lady that who her business is this and does it via telehealth, but that took some months of searching. Um, there's just not the resources in place. And, and it's, it's, it, it's, you know, really challenging because so few people do it. And for a lot of people, it's not accessible because it's pretty expensive um, to get done. And so um, anyway, so I, I got through all that. And last year it was like, yep, you're officially <laughs> diagnosed with, uh, they call it ASD, Autism Spectrum Disorder, which I don't really like that title. It sounds kind of negative. but It's a term um, disorder. It's like attention deficit disorder. Yeah. It's like you're defective yeah. and it, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't really think so. That's, you know, that's kind of viewing it through a deficit lens versus viewing it as just a difference. Um, and so I think there's still a long ways to go. There's just such a stigma. And so, you know, I'm kind of going out talking about it because it really is just a difference. It's just part of, in my opinion, part of um, diversity or biodiversity um, that you see in nature. It's not, you know, there's one right way to socially communicate or for your brain to work, there can be, you know, it, it can work differently. So you talk about that, the whole diagnosis of the neurodivergent categories, and I'm kind of in that, uh, but you know, I, I'm close to 50 years old at this point. And when I was a kid, they didn't have it. They just called me disruptive. They didn't have a, they didn't have a term. I wasn't ADHD that I, there really wasn't a thing. They weren't throwing that term around. I remember not specifically not taking medication for it until I was in my teens. I've seen that medication change. I too hate the word disorder because there's nothing wrong with me. In fact, I possess some super, superhuman skills when it comes to stuff. And I also come with things that I battle. And when I talk to any person anywhere, anytime, they all have the same things. There's things they're good at and there's things that they battle. And I don't think that there's a disorder nature to it. Now, I think that, that if, if I think that most of the successful entrepreneurs that I know, like if I had to describe an entrepreneur, like the world 
the word crazy comes up a lot, a little bit, you know, there are, they are different. And I think it's that difference in perspective that, like you mentioned the late, the, the TV show. And there's like, I, this late, I see patterns. I just see it a little bit differently. Well, when we describe, I think pe- I talk a lot about, uh, you know, are you crazy? Or are you a genius? And what, what is a genius and a genius and talent are often, uh, are misunderstood because a talented person hits the target. Everyone can see a genius is the person that sees the target that no one else saw and, and then nails it. And, you know, for you, the thing that I, I, so you're, you're a a U.S. Navy veteran. You've worked for Dell. Um, You've been in, you know, working, you've done a whole lot of different things really successfully. Do you think that the autistic nature of your personality contributed to seeing the target that no one else saw and hitting it? Yeah. And I I think it's, it's also just um, the way I'm wired. Like I'm not wired to be interested in like social, like just chit chat or like yeah. I, I get dopamine from working. And so right. it's like, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm necessarily smarter than anyone else, but I don't think many people work more than I do because my brain yeah. is always thinking this way. And, you know, I don't really enjoy parties. I don't, you know, I'm not a fun person. I'm not the person you want to go have a beer with. <laughs> but if there's work to be done, I can sit and focus at it and really think about it deeply and, and, and just put in the time and put in the work and do things that, you know, a lot of people just would find not fun to do, but you just have to, you know, suck it up and, and do it. And, um, you know, the other thing that neurodivergent people have is, I don't know if you're this way, but most autistic people are more bottoms up thinkers instead of top down. And when you're a top down thinker, you're kind of, it's, it's a more like um, you're filtering out some things and you have to remind yourself to think outside the box. When you're a bottom up thinker, there is no box. You're just looking at all the different options and details and you're trying to come up with a new or better way or innovative way of doing something. That's not the default for neurotypical people. And so there's an advantage, but it takes a lot of time to process all of that stuff. And and when your brain is wired to like, that's what you do all day, seven days a week. It's like, there's no, there's no, like Elon Musk, people are like, how can you work 80 or hundred hours a week? And it's like, that's, if that's where you get your dopamine from, that's like going to a party for a lot of people and feeling no. energized. It's like, that's what, that's what brings me joy. And that's what, you know, it's fun and it's a game. It's a puzzle to figure out. And it's just, you know, keep working at it. There's just, you know, you've got resilience and, you know, persistence baked into that. And so I think um, when you boil all that together, I think there is a competitive advantage. You know, in my opinion, I think the hardest groups, two hardest working groups of people are first generation immigrants or neurodiversity people, neurodivergent people. We're just, <laughs> just well, you know, for, just, for me that that'll come out, that'll come out described as drive. And like, if I take a personality assessment, I'll get like a 99 out of a hundred for drive, which, which unlike your description of yourself actually makes me appear to be a very social person. And I can be right. I can be, I am the person you want to go get a beer with, but I'll probably never go with you because <laughs> like, I kind of isolate myself into this, like, well, I'm sure people have used the word obsessed, um, about your work habits. I get that a lot. Um, and, um, so you, you mentioned having like a built in side of focus. Mine is, is a built in energy. And I think I I noticed as I've gotten older, that's really something that the people that are my age or closer seem to covet. You know, it was, uh, when I was younger, people are like, dude, can you slow down? Can you shut up? Can you stop (laughs) tapping your pencil? Like, no, I can't, you know, but, but as I, as I got older, I learned to manage that energy a little better. And I've watched a lot of the people that, you know, I mentioned, I'm not, it's not a secret, you know, I'm coming, I'm a couple of years short of 50 years old and, and I still have that kind of energy and I'm around people that are my age and they're just like, dude, I can't get up. I can't get moving, but I'm also easily distracted. So I've just learned to create environments where I can, where I can flex what I need to do. Now, for me, when I mentioned, like you talk about the neurodivergent superpowers is when I do get locked in, oh man, I can do like 
and, and I can do like the work of like 10 people, but I have a difficult time. I can't, there's not just a switch for that. I can't just be like at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, I'm going to do the work of 10 people. No, I have to, I've learned to spot it. And honestly, everything about my reality that I've created supports that and knows that when I, like, I can tell my wife, Hey, I, I refer to it as science. I'll be like, I'm working on something scientific. And that's kind of like our marital code word for I'm going to lock myself in my office till I come out. And maybe I'll come out looking like Tom Hanks and cast away like a week later. It's never quite that bad, but yeah, there's a lot to it. Now, um, you know, as I mentioned, this is a common trait for a lot of people that are, you know, there it's that thinking differently that is good in and around a team. So when you mentioned that, like when you're describing, Hey, when there's work, I like to get it done. And I put my head down and I crush it. I'm thinking, man, to me, that sounds like a description of a responsible, hardworking adult. Yeah, the the challenge it's, is it's, it's, it's not, not normal. It's not normal, and so it's not, it's so not, it's, right. yeah, society is governed by you know neurotypical people, especially extroverted social people. That's like that's like the the peak of this hierarchy or pyramid. And when you're not wired that way, you know you're towards the bottom of <laughs> that pyramid. And it's you know if you're working for a company, it's it's you know. For autistic folks, it's very difficult to survive the hiring process because we don't do well in interviews. We don't, um, you know, this is a generalization, but we tend to not make eye contact. We tend to, you know, sometimes need a little longer to respond to questions or not, you know, really have a great answer if we haven't thought about something before. We're just really not set up for that social um, environment that is the job interview process. Um, but for entrepreneurship, hundred percent, because you control your destiny and you can just play to your strengths and the interview process for an autistic person plays to our weaknesses, um, just the way it's structured. It really, you know, needs to change to be a little bit more inclusive because it's, because it historically has not been and it's, um, I don't think it's really intentional or, um, it's just the kind of the reality just from the lack of awareness for how people are different and what people need to be successful. I think that, that one of the things that I've learned and I've talked about this a lot is your strengths and your weaknesses, hold hands and walk down main street together, you know, and, and for me, speaking is a strength, but it can also be a weakness because I can be a little too verbose at times, you know, and, and, and sometimes it's hard to catch yourself in that moment and be like, shut up, stop talking. And then, you know, and so, so with that, I've also come to the realization that you're never going to please everyone. No one's alike. We're all different. So you, you get what you get. Um, now I have a, I have a question about whether or not you would give your autism back before you answer that. I, I want to remind everyone that finding expert software developers does not have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. So as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've, I've had this discussion with mainly with ADHD people, because I think that that's, that's the thing I've learned how to spot, but would you, would you give it back? Would you give it back to be neurotypical? No, I mean, definitely not. Um, I wouldn't either. You know, I'm just one person and you know, I, I I don't have challenges that some autistic folks have. So I'm only speaking for myself, but to me, it's been a huge advantage. Um, And the key is just being able to play to your strengths. I mean, and that's the way it is with anyone. Like if, you know, if you get beaten down by your weaknesses, <laughs> that's a tough way to live. And I think a lot of it's just having awareness for really where your strengths are um, and, and where you can succeed. And, and, you know, and, you know, I remember back in the, you know, nineties when I was at work, it was always like, um, you know, let's, let's work on your weaknesses and let's, <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. You know, you just, everyone was focused on improving the weaknesses and I don't know, somewhere in the 2000 kind of shifted and it's like, you know what, you don't have to be great at everything. You just, you know, you just need to have the right traits and skills for, for a given job. And if you align with that, then just play to your strengths and you don't have to be all things to all people. And, 
that's kind of been refreshing um, that 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 change has happened. But it, it didn't always it wasn't always that way. I feel like the the boom in technology and tech companies has has really played into the hands of the neurodivergent. And you know, you mentioned the interview process being difficult for people with autism. And so at full scale, you know, I employ currently just under 300 software developers. And for, we have kind of an inner joke where like the weirder they are in the interview, the more we want to hire them. Like if they show up dressed like a Jedi Knight, give that person a job offer right there, you know, because <laughs> that, that's, there's a, there's an interesting quality about that. Like if we had, to, uh, I, I even talk about that sometimes Well, our clients will interview someone and they'll say, well, this person wasn't very, they weren't very vocal or they weren't very outgoing. And we'll say, well, it's a software developer. You know, like if, if they wanted, they, they, you're not trying to hire someone for a sales job. You know, and that now what I just mentioned for a salesperson might not be great personality traits, but for, you know, the people kind of end up down the path that they end up for, for different reasons. Now we talked about or, uh, uh, recognizing things and using them to your advantage. How have you done that? Like, how have you, how, other than creating your own environment, um, or, or I don't know, like, is there anything that stood out when you came to like, I'll lead, I'll tell you what, I just quit caring, you know, it was probably like, man, eight to 10 years ago. And I was like, fuck it. If people don't like me, that's fine. There's at the time, six and a half billion people on the planet. And I mean, you know, it's kind of like, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. Not everyone's my cup of tea either. It doesn't. I, and also accepting that I don't necessarily need to like, like you and want to be your best friend to do business with you or work with you. Yeah. I, I guess for me, when it comes to work, it's really never been a, a challenge. I guess I, I worked for two fortune 100 tech companies and, you know, I got to senior manager director level, but I didn't see myself going above that because, um, I wasn't political. I wasn't, you know, going out to parties. I just wanted to get the work done and let the work speak for itself. And that's not always how, how it works there. And, you know, I didn't know I was autistic at the time. It was funny. They put me through this assessment, this full day assessment with, I don't know, psych psychologists and role playing and, and in this, you know, pretty big company of hundreds of managers that went through this, I scored second. Um, for any of the analytical or problem solving and, and that I was at the absolute bottom for just like the social interaction <laughs> side. And it's like when they were, you know, just kind of grilling me on that, I was like, I, I don't really care. That's just not who, <laughs> just not who I am. And, you know, I, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I just never really let that, let that bother me even before I knew I was autistic. And now that I know that I am, it's like, all right, let's, you know, I'm just like, just wired that way. I'm not going to, you know, um, feel weak because I'm, I'm not, I'm never going to be a greeter at a store. I'm never gonna, and I know that and I don't, you know, have an interest in that. Uh, for me, the work has never been a problem. It's more the like, like personal relationships is, is really where it's a problem. And, you know, with my wife, you know, she would, before I was diagnosed, you know, I just remember that's really where more of the issues come from. And it's a function of like expectations. And if you like pour your heart out to someone and then that person's just like blank and <laughs> there's no reaction. And all I could say is I have no words. Like I don't even know what to say. That That's not that's not the right answer um, for, for what's being looked for. But now that we know that I'm autistic, the expectations have changed. Um, and it's not this uncomfortable, um, awkward, difficult situation that, that I would say it was before. But as it relates to work, you know, really, it's, it's really an advantage. It, it, for me, it's more of a challenge in the you know, personal relationship side. If it makes you feel better, my wife thinks I'm a robot. <laughs> yeah. She's like, you know, there's things called emotions, Matt, that come into many of our lives. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I do. So, so I asked chat GPT what some of the advantages of autism are. And uh, it, it has replied by saying that there's no universal advantage. 
Uh, each person experiences the condition differently. However, some people with autism have reported some specific benefits. I realize I actually checked the box on a few of these, not the first one. So the first one that it says is attention to detail. Do you have a high attention to detail? Yeah, 100%. I do not. I do not. Uh, well, I do and I don't. Sometimes I do, but it's not like the key driver for me. Is that like, are you, as they say, the devil's in the details. And I do recognize that. I just think that not everything needs to, the details don't matter on everything. Yeah. I mean, for me, a, a big um, part of autism is hyperfocus, which is, you know, it's, I, I don't know if, um, it's a word that I really didn't know until the last few months is monotropism, which is monotropism. Okay. Yeah, that's a big, um, that, you know, so what I've noticed is there's um, autistic therapists or, or psychologists, they have the best insights, like they are spot on in terms of um, describing or identifying things. And that's um, autistic folks that they came up with the concept of monotropism as an underlying or big theme. Uh, you can read about it. Wikipedia has a pretty decent article on it. But it's this hyper focus or state of flow and when I'm looking at something or thinking about something, I can shift into a higher gear that I know most people don't have. And, and I can get lost in a world in my head thinking about something. And, 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 you know, you kind of look like, well, you're a loner or you're isolated or, and to me, um, I was watching a, a I guess, a, I guess a talk with one of the Virginia Tech professors um, here locally um, yesterday, and he was talking about virtual reality. And, you know, they're like, oh, you're isolated and you're lost. I'm like, that sounds exactly what autism is. Like, if you ever put a VR headset on and you get lost in that world and you're, you're, you like lose track of everything that's going on around you, you obviously can't read anyone's facial expressions while you're wearing the, right, the VR headset. But that's what it's like. But I get that with ideas and thinking about things and that is exactly what it feels like it's like a it's like a um you know like the good chemicals are flowing and you just it just feels like all this information and stuff is just you know moving um to your head and it's and and i know that's not a that's not a normal thing yeah, I know that. Well, the hyper, that's what I was describing earlier that I'm chasing. Like I would love to be able to put my, I think everyone would love to be able to put themselves into, I describe it as like in the movie Limitless when Bradley Cooper takes the pill, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, you're activating this huge percentage of your brain, not just part of it. And it's <laughs> like, yeah. And, it, and, and the, the keyword there is you really can get lost in that. Now, when I'm on, when I'm up on that wave, I try to do anything I can to stay on it. And I'm actually, that's part of why I'm like trying to like, I want to try to learn how to put myself into that. And it, and it is a flow state, as you mentioned, and it also means you can flow with it for a long time. It also means you can get knocked out of that flow pretty easily. Okay. So the next thing, so this, I do have um, the exceptional memory. You know, describing uh, now that once again, I'm not autistic, but the neuro, I find there is an overlap with some of the neurodivergent things that the exceptional memory. Now, it says with autism, that especially comes with facts and figures. Um, and I don't have this as much as I did from when I was born till I was 40. I used to literally not be able to forget a face. And I could and I don't I can't that that's kind of slipped away from me. I don't know where that went. But um, when it comes to, to memory, I, there are certain things and, and oftentimes, including shit, I'd like to forget, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah. is, is, the, so where are you on that? Uh, yeah, totally. I, I remember, I remember like facts and data and, uh, I'm not a, like a facial person. That's more of a social thing and that's yeah. kind of not my strength, but if it's like a numerical, um, or data point or you know, a price on something like I'll remember. And then, you know, people would be in a meeting. It's like, I think we paid about, I'm like, Oh no, we paid like $87 and 32 cents for that. <laughs> and it freaks people out. Cause I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, we, and yeah, they, yeah. And there's, there's no questioning. Cause they're like, they know that it's, it's correct. And I'm yeah. like, I don't even know where that came from. I wasn't even thinking about that three seconds ago. 
Yeah, the the computation, and I'm and once again, I was better at this when I was younger. Maybe I'm I'm losing it as I get older. But I used to be able to do like profit margins down to like the thousandth of a point, and people would be like, "Dude, what?" They're like check it. They're like like just pulling out their calculator. And I'm like, "No, it's forty point three eight two or something. I don't know where that came from, but yeah, that then want that. I don't do that as much anymore. I wish I could. Uh, I think it's honestly you said that like if you don't use it, you lose it. I just didn't really need to do a lot of that stuff, but I find, I find myself checking. So, all right, create, I think this is the one that stands out for a lot of people, um, as creative talents and exceptional music or artistic abilities is what's listed here. Do you have either? Uh, I'm more the, I'm the math music person. Um, I never really so like, like chord and music theory made sense to you easily, as opposed to most people that are like, I don't get it. Yeah, to a certain extent, but I, I think it's, I don't even know if it's like my taste in music is, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know, this is going to sound snobby, but like pop music to me is so boring, yeah. so repetitive and so like non-interesting. Um, and it just doesn't like do anything for me, but um, I'm like, I, I don't get why this is popular. Like, <laughs> I'm a jam band guy. I like it to be the song to be different every time. Give me a good like. 23 minute song with only one minute of lyrics in it. And that'll help. That helps me focus. Yeah. The, so. What I would say is within, you know, autism, there's a number of co-occurring um, conditions and ADHD is a, is a common one. Um, and so you often see, you know, that's why when they say, well, it's a spectrum or whatever, it's uh, autism at its core is really just a difference in the way of thinking, perceiving and socializing. And then there's all these other things with, you know, it could be ADHD, could be cognition, can be speech. And, and then like echolalia, which is, I don't know if you ever saw Rain Man, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. where, where they had like 97X, bam, the future yeah. of rock and roll. Like when he kept repeating that, or it was pretty, that's like echolalia is when you hear something, you just repeat the message. It's just like, I do that sometimes. It's like <laughs> I get it stuck in my head, man. Like I'll yeah. hear things and it'll just like, I've described my, and, and once again, like not, uh, you're just kind of comparing similarities of the neurodivergent here, but I wish that wasn't the case because I sometimes describe my thought process as a blender full of bottle caps, um, hmm. you know, like too many, too many loops playing. And I've actually worked hard to try to learn how to clear that. I, I actually hired a mindfulness coach and she reminded me that our own thought processes are, are just programs that we've created. So we can, we can often uh, change those programs, but to be aware of them is, is a key ingredient of, of doing that. Okay. This next one for different reasons, uh, honesty and authenticity. And it talks about people with autism have a strong sense of hon honesty and authenticity, but often don't understand the social cues that encourage dishonesty. I think part of what goes with this as well as I've known people that are, that are in the spectrum or really adjacent to it, um, don't sometimes understand that what they're saying might, well, that, that honesty and transparency, transparency and authenticity is often, uh, poorly placed in its mm -hmm. context and its use, you know, like saying things to someone that you just feel like you're being honest about. Now for me, I have this quality too, but I'm just honest and authentic. Um, and it pisses a lot of people off. It's not, it's not due to, I don't think it's a neurodivergent thing for me. I think it's just a personality trait. I'm very upfront and that's abrasive to a lot of people. Has that have, have either of those d transferred over into your existence? Yeah, I've seen it a lot. I've personally, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think I'm aware enough that I know like when, you know, to kind of hold back, I sometimes yeah. just won't say anything, which I don't know. Like, like, I'm like, you have this, like, you know, if you don't tell the truth, it just, it's just, just eats away at you. you know, like folks that are autistic um, tend to be misunderstood. Um, and, you know, in the, some of the differences are, just a, a much higher sense of social justice. And I think telling the truth is part of that. Um, and just, you know, but there's also um, an issue in companies where you're perceived as being rude because you don't really have this need to fit in and you don't really see hierarchies of people. Um, 
you know, you're looking more at things and ideas rather than like, who's the most senior person in the room. <laughs> and so you, in that situation, like say the senior person in the room says something and it's really dumb. The autistic person could like just shred the idea. And it's, like, or literally say, Hey, that's not, that's a pretty that's, dumb idea. That's, that's really, yeah, exactly. Literally those words. Hey, this is a dumb idea. Why are we talking about this? And it's a hundred percent correct. It's just not appropriate. Right. <laughs> for the social situation, but there's this, I, I don't know if, you know, I, I don't, I, it's like telling the lying is extremely difficult and it's, it's just really uncomfortable and it's, it's easier just to, to say what you're feeling and being transparent. Um, it's just difficult. I mean, I imagine when I was younger, I probably did that. And <laughs> just my lack of awareness didn't realize that I, you know, annoyed people. Um, but I've, you know, I've kind of learned what people um, can take and not take. Um, yeah. but, it, it, but it does then put pressure on yourself internally. It's like, how do I want to play this? <laughs> because I've learned there's know. definitely times where it's just not worth it. Because here's the thing is if, you, if you're going to bring some of these things up, you need to be prepared to discuss them afterward oftentimes. And sometimes I'm just like, I just don't have the energy for it. And I'm just like, you go for it. You know, like, but yeah, that's uh but so one of the things I, I feel like the workplace dynamic has become a little more accommodating to this because, you know, we've, we've kind of over the last 20 years moved to move towards this fail fast, critical thinking kind of uh, it, it's acceptable. Now, you know, it was at this point, 15 years, 16 years ago. I used to work for Roland, the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. And that's a Japanese company. And the Japanese culture was very, was very brutal in a lot of regards for, for workplace dynamic that favors respect and like certain things at the same time, they would, if you were in a meeting and they would say, and someone said something that was a dumb idea, they would literally, sometimes you'd hear, that's a terrible idea. I don't think you should have even brought that up. <laughs> And people will cry from shit like that, you know, yeah, like I mean, that's, yeah. that'll happen. I mean, and maybe rightfully so, but that's that kind of thick skin thing. Now, I don't know there. And I do believe there are bad ideas in brainstorming and we're just trying to get them out of the way. So, you know, okay. Last out of the five things on here, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, focus and determination. Now, focus and determination are borderline words. And I mentioned that earlier you have terms like crazy or genius. Are you driven or are you obsessed? It's, these are words given to people observing. Because if you, I bet if you ask you, you're driven and other people are going to say you're obsessed. It yeah, I see, I see both. Yeah. Yeah. I see both. I don't really see much distinction between those two, two words. Right. But those are, but those are, but the, they would be taken in a completely different context. Cause the word if saying, Oh, this person's Peter's driven. That's, that's in a, that's is, has complimentary, mm. complimentary. He's hardworking. He's driven. He's, you know, but if I say, Oh man, Peter's obsessed. Now they're two, they're almost the same. You're going to find a, a similar definition on, on, on those things. And I found that, you know, that I I've been studying people that do genius stuff and what's they, they all have very similar. Well, okay. First off, most of the people that you find that the world finds to be the most successful are without a doubt obsessed. It's that obsession that drives them to go further. They get up off the mat. They they're up work. They're there early. They're there late. They're just like not giving up. And I think that that's a good thing. In a lot of regards, there is a price that comes with it. And I think that you mentioned it earlier on the social side, like the social and personal side, it's tough because when you're obsessed with something, you're that essentially means that even when you're not doing it, you're obsessively thinking about it, which makes it difficult for you to be fully present in other parts of your life. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, that, that describes me to a T. Um, I think I, I saw a video on Steve jobs um, not too long ago and he was saying, Good example, yeah. yeah, kind of about the obsessed or the you know crazy people that go and do things. It's like a sane person would never do this. Like you, you would give up 
Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't stick with it through, you know, and, and see things that other people don't see when, you know, so many people have told you like, this is a fool's errand. Like you're headed on a path that is, it's never going to work out. And, you know, for me, and I think it's common with a lot of autistic people and, and probably neurodivergent folks, you know, in general is you're, uh, I don't know for you, but for me, I was like, so, um, expectations were so low for me that like when I'm doing well, people that knew me when I was younger were just, you're just baffled. They're like, how, like, how are you doing what you're doing? Because, um, you know, expectations from, you know, from my family were just so ridiculously low. Like they were oh, concerned that I'd even yeah. be able to have a job. Yeah. And, and now it, and I, and I could see it myself. And I, for some reason, have this inner confidence that, you know, I can do things um, that, that just wasn't evident to really anyone else. <laughs> well, so I, I was a terrible student. I barely graduated from high school. I dropped out of five colleges. Um, and in the era that you and I are from, those aren't badges. Like now almost you can like, I don't know, there's some really successful people that are, there's a lot of data out there, but I came from a family of doctors and lawyers and, and I wasn't that, um, and, you know, like you said, that was so I was a terrible student because if I was interested in the topic, I'd get an A. But if I wasn't, then I'd, I'd barely pass it. And I mean, I mean, barely if I even did. And so with that, there were really low expectations around the time that I was in my mid 20s. I kind of got tired. I hadn't really done anything in life at that point. I wasn't really on the path to doing it. And through my own observation, I kept seeing people that were quote successful. And I said, man, I have all those same qualities. I can do all that same stuff. And in many cases, I felt like I could do a better job of it. So what's holding me back? And uh, I think that as I've studied human achievement over the last several years in depth, it's uh, that self-doubt and that negativity are things you have to shed if you want to climb, if you want to, if you want to make the ascent towards exploring your own greatness. Those are definitely two things that are going to, that are going to hold you back and, and pull you down. And remember, um, and I just believe that in the end, it's about what you feel about yourself and what you can accomplish and what you do that matters. The rest of it's just observation and noise, which look, there, the complexity of unwrapping what I just said into a reality for most people is very difficult, right? Like, hey, don't quit caring about what everyone else thinks. Well, and there, but there is a lot of there is a lot of truth to that because other people telling you you can't do stuff, it's uh, you choose whether or not you're going to believe that. Yeah, and I think you know I, I've never felt that pressure to fit in, and I think part of fitting in is listening to what other people say. And I, I just didn't really care what they, <laughs> what they said. And, you know, that's maybe a bit weird, but, um, you know, I could see a path for how things were going to work out. I, I wasn't great at, at uh, verbalizing them, but, you know, I, I, it wasn't just some crazy idea. And, you know, I, I could see like where I wanted to be and then I can work backwards from there. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can totally do this. And, um, I don't know. That's just kind of how my brain works, but, um, it's, it's just kind of shocking. Cause I struggled like you in school, especially elementary school. It was, I don't even know how I got through elementary school. They just kind of pushed me through. I didn't struggle on the test. That's what was baffling for me as I'd show up and I'd test and I'd be like, in a lot of stuff, I'd be like in the top of the group, you know, like top 3% kind of scores. And then I was just terrible in school because I was quote disruptive. They yeah. didn't really know what to do with it. They didn't really know how to treat it. In fact, like sometimes they just put me in the corner, which yeah. isn't great. <laughs> I don't think they do that anymore. I don't think they do that. Hey, I was all right. A lot of those people work for me now. So we're good with that. And, yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. I've heard a lot. Of, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, these, this story. It's like, hey, can all the A students stand up? Um, okay. And then, okay. You're the ones that are going to go through college and graduate as valedictorians. Can all the B students stand up? Okay. You're the one that's going to probably go and find good jobs and do a lot of different things. Can all of the C students stand up? And then all the C all of you, A and B students are probably going to work for these folks. And, you know, that's like a real thing that I find I, yeah. I, and then, you know, there's definitely, I'm, I don't want to downgrade education, but I mean, cause there's a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things, but 
I don't know, some of the richest people in the world didn't go to college. So what are you going to do? All right. Yeah, so here we are. I, go ahead. I, I was just going to add something to that. I think with school, it's kind of like those that get, get the A's. It's kind of like you can follow rules and you could, you know, take the test and, but when you get out in the real world, it doesn't work that way. It's like a, Simon Sinek talks about infinite game versus a finite game where school is a finite game. Like there's no yeah. rules and there's no, you get out in the real world, the business world, it's like there, there really are no rules. Like the rules change, the competitors change. Um, you can be creative in ways that you can't be in school. It's um, a different game is, for sure. Which is very much confined. And so in some ways, those people that go through school with straight A's have never really struggled are really not set up for the real world. They haven't like, I don't know, taken a punch <laughs> and, and struggled to get through things. Um, and you know, when you, when you're in your twenties and the first time you're struggling and you've never struggled before, it's like you, you've really not faced adversity. You know, I think that's, I feel sorry sometimes for, for kids that just, you know, glide through school and then they get out and then they really struggle. Yeah. Um, you know, I think some, I think there's some advantages to, you know, taking some hits along the way and then adjusting course and, and persevering to overcome it because that really sets you up for success later. Um, cause, cause you're going to get hit with things that you have not prepared for, um, you know, in the business world. Well, speaking of success, if you'd want to have success hiring software engineers, testers, and leaders, full scale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. Just go to fullscale.io. There's a link for that in the show notes. All you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Fullscale, we specialize in building long-term teams that only work for you. Once again, learn more at fullscale.io. With me today, Peter Mann, and you can learn more about what Peter's company, Aransi, does at aransi.com, O-R-A-N-S-I.com. Link for that in the show notes as well. I think I own some of your products, by the way. I want everyone to click the link to see what those are, though. <laughs> um, so here we are at the end of the show. I like to end my shows with founders, with Founders Freestyle. Uh, Peter, what would you like to say to everyone on the way out? Wow. Um, no, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I liked hearing about ADHD, um, that from some of your experiences, um, you know, I think neurodiversity or neurodivergence are really advantages, not disadvantages. It's just how you, uh, frame it, you know, in, in, you know, historically it's been viewed negatively. Um, if you say you're dyslexic or you're ADHD or you're autistic, um, and it's not, I think there's a lot of strengths we bring to the table. Um, you know, autistic folks, you know, just a bit stereotypical, but, you know, can be really good at focusing with programming or math or problem solving. But there's also, you know, creativity um, in, in coming up with new ideas and new innovations and inventions and HDA, HDA, ADHD folks have the same thing. And I see a lot of um, people I'm connected with who are um, ADHD that are just super creative. I mean, like you talked about the energy that you're able to pour into something and, and coming up with um, some really interesting um, and new, new ideas or new designs or new products. Um, and I think, you know, if you're wired that way, it should not really view yourself as deficient or defective. Like you have strengths and, and play to the strengths. And I think for those that work at companies that are hiring people should really look at your hiring process and how do we not exclude these folks through the hiring process? Because that's that's the reality of what's of what's happening. I know within the autistic community, it's as high as 85 percent are unemployed, which is just uh, astounding. Um, and so I think there's just, you know, you know, there's just so much more that, um, we're going to learn about, um, you know, condition, these conditions, which, um, but I think, you know, if, you know, we live in a very competitive world and to, you know, compete with the best, you need some of the best people on your team and they don't all look, <laughs> they don't all look the same. And so this is just kind of my, um, advocacy just to really promote um we really need different people uh, within organizations to really you know realize our potential i like to ask people what their superpower is in an interview and hear what they have to say and 
you know, every, everyone has superpowers, but if you look at any movie about a superhero, there was that time when they were discovering and learning about what those superpowers were. And then they go through a whole process of, of learning how to control and struggle with it and all this other stuff. And, and, and really in the end that, describes most of the people I know that have neurodivergent qualities about them. And it's, and I've talked to a lot of people that, uh, you know, I'm sitting here going, I wouldn't give my ADHD back. I think it's a strength. I think it's a superpower. I talk to some people that are like, dude, I would love to get rid of this. This is the biggest problem in my life. And I, and I just think, man, you know, maybe you just haven't, maybe spend some time trying to learn how to put the lightning in the bottle. Cause when you can uncork that thing at a time that you need it, it, it can be really powerful. And, and, you know, Peter, I agree with you on the, the hiring side of things. I think that, that, well, the, the quote system is geared towards, you know, having, you know, doing certain things. And I think schools like that too, you know, like, I mean, according to my teachers in school, I should have never been successful. And, one of, and, and, you know, I think that a lot of people that I went to high school with might've told you the same thing. And I even run into some of them. I've gotten older, like, dude, you did really well for yourself. I'm like, the way you're saying that implies that you thought I wouldn't. And, you know, I mean, but really in the end, we're, we're all the author of our own, of our own biography. So what's the title of yours going to be is what I'd like to ask everyone. And, you know, I don't know. I really just think that, that, you know, if, I'm not going to get all weird and matrixy, but like it is all a construct. You can, you know, like the, the, the reality that you choose to believe, which is one where you can and not one where you can't, in my opinion, is a better place to just kind of be at over time. I, I mean, I talk to a lot of people that say, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I, so I'll just say, well, why aren't you? And they'll say, I don't know, because I can't. I'm like, is that really true? Or is that what you're telling yourself? So, you know, really in the end, it's, and it's never going to happen fast, you know, mastery and, and expertise take time to evolve. It takes reps. It takes weeks. It takes months. Like no one, uh, you know, some of us, you may have more talent or skills or interest in certain things. And I think all three are a key because I've known some people that are really talented at certain things. They just didn't have any interest in doing it. So they never polish it. They don't become obsessed with it. They don't really get into it, but you know, figure out what you like and what you're good at. Tell yourself you can and start figuring out how you can do it. And then don't be surprised when you do. I think it's a good place for us to, to end that conversation. Peter, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.